Welcome to our backyard. This is the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We are two friends having a discussion after everyone else has passed out or gone to bed. Grab a drink and listen as we discuss everything from automation, space exploration, and why the meaning of life is 42. Lucius Quintus Cincinnatus was born 519 BC. He was a patrician, which is a Roman in kind of the aristocracy class, in the upper class. And he was involved in government. Eventually, he became consul, which is a very high position in the Roman government. And he wasn't really noted for anything at that time, except there was ongoing debate between the patricians and the plebeians. And the plebeians were the lower class. Think your farmers, your workers, really anyone not born into money or power. Your tradesmen. Yeah, and they had no say in the current government, and they wanted a say. They eventually became a branch, the tribunes, almost like the United States House and the Senate. So it kind of worked together that way. They both had a say in government, and some people could say they had more or less, but they were given a, a say. And the patricians, the generally older, richer side of the government, had more power for the most part. And the kind of rule was similar to our rules, you know, the rule Washington established, is that you don't serve another term, you don't stay in government. And the patricians continually fighting the plebeians, and the plebeians, they had some people that they really liked. They were representing their ideals, and they wanted them in power, and they wanted them to stay in power, which wasn't something that was traditionally done. And so the plebeians were going to re-elect their leaders. The patricians were pretty upset, and they said, well, if you're going to re-elect your leaders, we're going to re-elect our leaders, which would have meant another term for Lucius Quintus Cincinnatus as consul. He decided, unlike any politician, that he's going to take the high ground. He said, just because my opposition is doing it doesn't mean I have to do it. I don't need to stoop to their level. I will retain my morals over becoming richer, becoming more famous, getting more power for himself, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, I wish more people were like that. So he actually took over for a consul who died. And at this time in Rome, the year wasn't really measured in years. It was measured by who was consul. And so he would have actually put his name on a year. But because he took over for someone, he didn't get that. So he didn't even serve a full term. He was put in this position, carried it out, and when asked to go again, said, that's not how this goes, which is remarkable. Could you explain that a little bit more, Nick, of how he got, he wasn't elected in, he was chosen yeah so the people chose him to be in this office well the, the patricians put him in this office because he came from a good family and the consul died i'm blanking on the name and probably couldn't pronounce it anyway and uh so he took office but this really isn't where the story goes this is kind of just the beginning he stepped down the plebeians and the patricians were in conflict not armed conflict but political conflict he stepped down and went back to his land and kind of retired from the public eye for a while. His son, Casio, caught into power and he was a little bit more violent towards the plebeians, depending on what source you look at. He would rough up the plebeian crowds, the working class crowds, and he prevented them from gathering. He'd form mobs to remove them from public places so they couldn't protest. Eventually, charges were filed against him and he fled. But not before Cincinnatus paid his bail. So what happened was Virginius was a plebeian, and he knew that Cincinnatus' son 
was kind of a hothead. So he organized a large march because he knew that Casio would come and rough him up, make a scene, break the rules. And he was trying to entrap him to get him out of power because when he removed the more violent offenders and they could actually protest and do everything they wanted to do when they got rid of the bad apples, right? So he kind of goaded him on. So both sides weren't innocent in this, but what happened is they caught Casio forming a mob to remove Virginius from the uh, square and he got put in prison and he's going to go to trial and uh, Lucius Quintus Cincinnatus, the, the family is Quintus, the Quintus family, and they were by no means the top of the food chain, but they were up there. So he posted a large sum of money for his son's bail and say he wouldn't flee until the trial. Well, the first thing he did, his son did was fled. So after Lucius served his country, he basically was forced to retire to a four acre parcel of land on the other side of the Tiber river from Rome when his son was in exile a self-imposed exile I guess well it's kind of like bailing on uh well it's like skipping on on bail where you're still wanted but you're free somewhere else so why return to the place where you get arrested exactly so he continued to work on his farm and sometime after that at this time Rome was still a young country I mean Rome was founded in anywhere from 750 752 to 753 years before Christ he was born in 519 years before Christ around 460 years before Christ, the Aquii were attacking Rome, and they were a neighboring tribe. At this time, Rome was still a pretty small territory. It mostly consisted of the city of Rome and a few outlying outposts, mostly just farm community. It was not a united Italy like we all imagine at this time. No, this is well before the sack of Rome. After the sack of Rome, the history of Rome got much better. At this point, the history of Rome was mostly recorded through two people, Livy and Dionysus. So some of these is more myth than actual fact. We don't completely know and probably will never know. We know Cincinnatus was a person and we know this probably took place, but we aren't entirely certain how much of it is true. Details always seem to get lost in the echoes of history, but doesn't change the fact that something definitely did happen. And what did happen that we can be sure is that the Aquii, their neighboring tribe near central Italy, were clashing with the Roman army, who under that time was led by Lucius Manucus. Lucius was chasing the Aquii, and he was kicking their ass. He knocked out their first attack, and he was chasing them, and they retreated into a canyon. What do you think happened after that, Mike? Well, if the canyon only has, say, two exits, I would close off both exits and starve them to death and walk them in and slaughter them. It was indeed a trap. So once they entered the canyons, once the Romans entered the canyons, the Aquii were able to surround them. Luckily, a few Romans were able to escape and run back to Rome. And they told of the soon-to-be defeat of the Roman army. The Roman Senate decided that they needed a dictator. Now, when we think dictator, we think of, I'd say, Castro or Kim Jong-un, people who Stalin. Yeah, bad people who keep power. In Roman times, a dictator is a person who, during times of extreme duress, are appointed to lead the empire for one year's time. Think uh, Palpatine declaring emergency powers to himself in Star Wars. Because there's this war, he needed extra powers to accomplish the objectives. This is exactly what Rome was doing. Almost like, I would say almost the equivalent of when a curfew set in and the military takes over during a state of emergency, almost at that point. 
Exactly. Now, like we know, choosing a leader is a difficult job, much less choosing a person who will have the in control of the entire empire of Rome for one year. That's a tall order. <laughs> Luckily, they chose Lucius Quintus Cincinnatus. At this point, a humble farmer working his four acres because he lost most of his money when his son fled. He was farming, most likely olives or grapes on the other side of the Tiber River. Roman messengers were sent out to fetch him, and this is not the first time Roman fetched him. When he became consul, he was out at his farm farming, and the Romans came in their robes with their scrolls, and in the middle of harvest, he left to go become consul and eventually lost his harvest. At this point, again, he was out farming, and historians don't know whether he was digging a ditch or planting it it's not really clear but he was out in his field and they said rome has a message for you put on your toga because he was most likely only wearing a loincloth and you needed to be wearing an official kind of ceremonial clothing to receive the message from the government of rome so he had his wife run inside and fetch his finest robes talk about a baller move accepting kingdom with wearing a loincloth <laughs> I like to imagine it like he was out there farming and these Romans came up and he's sitting there yelling, Honey, where is my super suit? <laughs> All right, Mr. Incredible, calm down. So he puts on his formal toga and he listens to the decree that he had become dictator of Rome. At this point, no one had asked him. He just became dictator. So he did what any citizen of Rome would do, and he went to Rome. The first thing he did was he shut down all businesses. He shut down everything. Next thing he did was say he ordered every military-aged male. Out of curiosity, Nick, you probably don't know this question, but when you say military-aged male, I am assuming it's not like today's modern military with 18 and above. I'm assuming they probably went back a little bit younger with probably maybe as far back as 14-year-olds. I don't expect you to know this information, but do you happen to know about it? So I don't know exactly what they considered military-age males, but I'm going to guess somewhere around 15 or 16 and up till 35, maybe early 30s. I mean, that makes sense. The Spartans and earlier culture beforehand had to serve from the ages of 18 to 35. So I imagine most cultures at that time and before then were having very having kids in their army. Oh, I'm sure. So Cincinnatus had all the military age males gather on the campus Martius or the field of Mars, Mars being the god of war. He had them bring five days worth of rations and 12 steaks, wooden steaks, not meat steaks. If you were not a military age male, you were tasked to help any military age male gather those things. After everyone was gathered, he marched to meet the surrounded Roman army and the Aquii. Being the great leader that he is, he needed a second in command of his army. And being the hero that he is, and most likely Fable, he appointed, I hope I'm saying this right, Tequarius as his uh, second in command. And Tequarius was a foot soldier in the past. He was a patrician as well, but he didn't have a lot of money. And he was a great leader and a great soldier, but he couldn't rise above the rank of foot soldier because he was not wealthy i was gonna say that sounds almost like a modern day second lieutenant and a sergeant where one's enlisted and the other went to a military school almost yeah it's uh you know it's one of those things everyone always talks about of um you know my dad's gonna love this one of making fun of officers but that's kind of where where this was i guess you consider Tequarius as a an enlisted but he was a good tactician a good soldier and Cincinnatus, unlike the others in the Roman army who were concerned about 
politics and all that. He saw the talent and he promoted him. Eventually, Cincinnatus's forces went to the base of the mountain. He used those stakes he brought to erect a palisade around the forces. So you had Romans in the center, surrounded by Aquii, and then surrounded that, you had more Romans erecting these palisades. They dig trench, and then they use the stakes to create a fort. And during this whole time they're digging the trench, the Romans in the middle, who are surrounded under Lucius, were still fighting the uh, still fighting the Aquii, which is impressive through the night. They fought, fought them through the night, which is impressive because there were no flashlights, no infrared, nothing that would enable people to fight through the night. That was very uncommon back in the day. After being surrounded by Cincinnatus's army, the Aquii eventually surrendered. So, Nick, before you get too far, so the Roman army got their ass kicked in the canyon. They assembled a new group with five days worth of rations, and they attacked them in an open field? Was it the same spot? Where? No, it was the same spot, still in the mountain. So the Romans in the middle were in the center of this kind of valley, it sounds like. The Aquii, they were chased into it, and then turned around. The Aquii then surrounded the Romans, so they hit people all around them. Then the other Roman group came with Cincinnatus, and surrounded that group that was surrounding the original Roman force. <laughs> I, I surround your group, you surround my group, I surround your group. Exactly. So after realizing that they were surrounded, the Aquii army surrendered, and Cincinnatus gave them a choice. He said you could lay down your arms and pass through the yoke, or you could be killed. He also asked for their leaders to be taken back to Rome, the leaders of the Aquii Rebellion, people who organized the whole battle from the Aquii side would be brought home. Everyone else would be let go if they went under the yoke. What does under the oak mean? So we're going to get to that. The Aquii decided to pass under the yoke, surrendering their leaders to Rome. And the yoke, think like uh, the yoke that you put on a working animal to control it. It was it was very cruel. Imagine after you win like a sports game when you're a little kid and everyone has like their hands up and you run under that. Okay. Okay, imagine it's that, except the people, instead of cheering for you, are poking you with a spear and just yelling things at you and talking shit, just saying whatever they want. And it, it's essentially, you are submitting to Rome. Mm. Some conquered people would choose death over the yoke. It was not pleasant. You walk under the spears of the people who conquered you, and they'll jab you, and they'll say things about you, and you get hurt. Like I said, for a choice between life and death, this was an option that made people occasionally choose death. Now, they did conquer them, so at this time it wouldn't have been uncommon for them just to kill them, but Cincinnatus chose to spare them. Cincinnatus took the leaders of the Aquia Rebellion back to Rome. He got everything squared away, brought everyone home. Rome was ecstatic. Their dictator they had elected had solved their problems. He had conquered the Aquii and brought all the Romans home in probably some people debate anywhere from 13 to uh, 16 days from the time he got to Rome to the time he brought the Romans home and the Aquii were defeated. Dang, talk about a quick round trip. 
Yeah, that's why they only needed five days of rations. Said Rome was ecstatic. They tried to offer him all these gifts. They wanted to give him gold, land, positions of power. They wanted him to stay in power. As soon as he got back, he relinquished his position. He said, I'm done. You wanted me to solve this problem. I solved this problem. Now let me go back and tend to my crops. Like I said, it was harvest time. He had previously lost a harvest last time he became consul for Rome. He just wanted to go back and tend to his crops. The Romans, they couldn't believe it. They were like, no, he must want something else. Like, what can we give you? Can we give you land? Can we give you a position of power? Do you want a villa here? Do you want to own this town? Do you want this? He could have had anything. He didn't even have to relinquish his power. Being a dictator, he had a whole nother year. He had the power. <laughs> Yeah, he had the power. He didn't have to give it up. He was the one and only ruler of Rome. That is a powerful position. But no, he just wanted to go home. He wanted to tend to his crops, see his wife. And that's not the only time he did that. That took place around 462 before Christ. 458 in 439 before Christ, Spurius Malleus, he was a plebeian. At this point, Rome was experiencing grain shortage. There was a suspicion that he was holding grain from Rome to give away for free to the plebeians. He essentially was taking their food and giving it back to them under the pretense of being a good guy. Most of Rome feared that he was trying to take control. They thought that this was a coup and it needed to be stopped. Who do they go to? The only guy they know they can trust. We went back to Lucius Quintus Cincinnatus. And it's definitely not important to the story. Like I mentioned Quintus is the family name. That'd be what we consider a last name. And Cincinnatus means curly hair because he had curly hair. <laughs> not that important to the story, but definitely interesting to note. Anyway, old Cincinnatus, once again, working on his farm. He's an old man now. He's probably close to his 60s. He went back to Rome, asked for Malleus to appear before him. He did not. Malleus tried to flee and he was killed. In an attempt to apprehend him, he ended up being killed. Since he was gone, no one's attempting to take control and he relinquished once again all the power of Rome and Rome wanted to give him all these gifts and stuff and he didn't. The only thing that he did do that he used his power to do was he, in a sense, pardoned his son Casio. What he did was he forced the other party to say that they had lied about what he did. Now, this is where it gets tricky because there's different accounts. Some people say that his son did those things and some people say that he didn't. So we really don't know whether he did or didn't. And I don't want to tear Cincinnatus down on something that couldn't be true, but it is a myth. But even if his son was guilty, I mean, can you ever blame a father for trying to save and protect his son? No, you can't. There's two sides to every coin. Cincinnatus may not have been a huge hit with the plebeians because he got rid of the guy who was more on their side, who was trying to do the coup. And history is always written by the victors, which is why I think it'd be odd that they would say bad things about Cincinnatus, who seems to be so dearly loved. The accounts from Rome by Livy and Dionysus, they themselves were both patricians, both from the higher class. I mean, that's what you would expect, right, of a famous storyteller. So it's not like they were on the side of the plebeians. It's up for debate whether he did that or not. And no, well, he did do that. It's up for debate whether his son did these bad things or didn't. Was he removed or was he not? Was the guy lying or was he not? These are things we don't know. But the important part is a man was given ultimate power over an empire and gave it back once his job was done. This is a man that inspired the founding fathers of the United States, that inspired people to this day. And I think this is an extremely interesting, but also extremely sad story about the only politician people like. Yes, to twice be given power and twice pretty much give it back because leave me alone. I just want to go back to my farm. 
ultimate power. I mean, this wasn't the height of Roman power, but Rome wasn't a small country or a small empire at this time. You know, it wasn't what we think of today, but that's a that's a big position. It's not like becoming prime minister or president of a country. This is talking about pretty much becoming a king, and he turned down becoming a king. I can't imagine the temptations. How many of us, if we could be king for a year, would say no? Yeah, I don't think I could. The story might sound similar to us Americans. Many people refer to Washington as the American Cincinnatus, because in a sense, he did step down after his time in power. He served two terms and then he was done, which he could have been king. People wanted him to stay, but he said no, and he retired back to Mount Vernon, similar to Cincinnatus. Fuck you guys, I'm going home. Exactly. And Cincinnatus was such a hero to this time, and closely to us, our time. Like I said, Washington was a huge fan. But at the time when our country was founded, a lot of people received what they call more of a classical education, you know, covering all the history of Rome and stuff like that. And there's a lot of statues that have Washington wearing a toga, and the most famous one has him with the date when he stepped down from the presidency in a scroll as saying Cincinnatus, because at that time, the popular of the United States could say, oh, well, that's Washington being depicted as Cincinnatus. Whether it's true or not, there's some debate over whether this man existed or not. We know he existed. We don't know exactly to what extent these exploits are true. He established an ideal for Rome, the United States, of country before self, of selflessness, of duty, of not falling into power, not being corrupted by it. I can't imagine any politician today who would do this. The ultimate temptation and yet to remain true, to do as you say. And after researching this, like I said, Mike, I understand that there's a lot of unknowns. We we know person Lucius Quintus Cincinnatus did exist, and he served as consul and most likely dictator. This is pretty common, and some people disagree. Some people think it's real, which is why it's very hard to research this. But I personally like to believe in it, and I don't think I would have believed in it if it wasn't for Washington. Because imagine hearing this story, he's what, probably without Washington, he is the only man to relinquish a monarchy we all stand on the shoulders of giants we all build upon each other so without washington he would have been the only man to relinquish a monarchy to someone else and i would have found that difficult to believe that someone would do that if i didn't see a person do it more in my time frame not that when washington was president i was around but it's closer and it's concrete evidence that relinquishing that power can't happen it makes you have faith in humanity that they're literally having a kingdom given to them go no it's okay. Let's uh, let's not do a kingdom. Let's do something different. Truly amazing. Just a huge fan of Lucius Quintus Cincinnatus, not just because he has a cool name, also because he is a hero to my hero. I think most Americans can agree George Washington is a hero, and this is the person that George Washington looked up to. I just thought that was an interesting story, and I thought that it's something everyone can think about of when someone says, what is a good politician? This is a good politician. My favorite politician. He's a good one to look up to, and hopefully more on the horizon. Thanks for listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We rarely finish a podcast without missing a point we wanted to bring up, so let us know what we forgot. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know at Backyard Philosophy on Instagram and Backyard Philosophy Podcast on Facebook.